0: Good evening, glad you came back. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that I was preaching tonight or not, but um, here I am. Um, I'm John Nugent, the youth minister here, glad that you're here with us tonight. Uh, tonight we're going to look at James chapter 5, we We've been looking at James for the last few Sunday nights, just a couple of them. Uh, we're starting to kind of get into the, to the home run stretch of all of this, um, but we're looking at James chapter 5 verses 9 through 11 tonight. I want to read those to you and then um, try to make those fit together for us tonight. Um, because for me, the, this this little passage that our, our pastor, you know, he hands it down to us. You know, you've heard lots of us tell you this, but he's like, Here, you're, you're assigned this passage, and you're assigned this passage." And uh, I think lots of them are very pointed. You know, you 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 get this passage, um, and so tonight is, is, is just reading and setting through this. Honestly, for me, um, as I looked through it, I, I thought, you know, um, Dr. Reggie, um, I don't know these. Three little verses really belong together. Um, it just, I just didn't know for a while. So we're going to look at that. And I think we're going to bring it all back together. That's, that's my goal for us tonight anyway. So James chapter 5, we're going to read verses 9 through 11 together. Um, it says this. It says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider these blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen. So we start off with this command that James gives, which he's very good at doing. There's not a lot that James does that you and I have to do a lot of interpretation for. He just kind of comes out and says, don't grumble. Don't grumble against one another. That's it's great. And as I was reading through this, I thought, okay, I don't argue and grumble. Again, I, I like that. Philippians 2.14, one of my favorite mission trip verses ever, which says do everything without grumbling or complaining. Um, it, it's, it's great. Remind our students that every time we go somewhere. And so uh, this idea of not grumbling against one another, I, I get that. But then he goes into so remember the prophets in Job. Remember, the, the, remember Jeremiah like grumbling against someone or when Job had lots of things going on, but I don't remember like there were people that definitely giving him bad advice and those sorts of things. But I don't really remember him as as a as a complainer, as a grumbler, as an arguer, as, as any of those kinds of things. And and he goes on to talk about you know those people are steadfast and and they, we appreciate that and God God admires that about them and, and gives them the strength to do that. And and God is merciful and compassionate. I don't it took me a while. Figure out how all that fits together. But here's what I think. At least what I want to start with. Let me read verse 9 to you one more time. We'll kind of go this verse by verse. Verse 9 says this. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So when I really get this in my, in my head, I've told you already that I, I I like for you to use your imagination with me. Um, so I need you to imagine. Let's, let's pretend that you're, um, I don't know, maybe you're, you're really tall and, and good-looking, um, 37-ish years old, and you're standing in the doorway of your house, and you have three little boys. Maybe they're like ages 7, 4, and 2. Um, it's about, let's say, 7.45 p.m. Most things are, are done for the day except for one thing that's yet to be done in their room which is clean up. And so for for me at my house, this is very easy for me to imagine, just helping you get with me. So I I get there, and and what I'll do specifically with with my four-year-old, Jack Reese, I can say, hey, buddy, I need you to clean. You made this mess. You did this. This explosion that has happened in this room where I cannot see the floor anymore. You did this. And I need you to learn that, that you can't just do this. So I need you to clean this up. And immediately, his face goes from very much having fun to, that's not fair. I got, I want to clean, somebody's got to help me. Somebody has to help me. I'm like, buddy, you made this mess all by yourself. Your other, two, one was taking a nap and the other one was in the other room. Like, this is all you, buddy. Like, you made the mess, you get to clean it up. Somebody has to help me. It's not, I'm not doing it. <laughs> Let me stand here and watch you. And for a long time, he's actually gotten a little bit better. Um, but for a long time, he would only really do those kinds of things if Lee or I stood in the doorway of his room. Like, hey, let's take this one job at a time. Let's start with the costumes. He enjoyed <laughs> enjoys a good costume. So let's start with that. That's lots of things. We can kind of see the floor then. All right, now let's go with the Hot Wheels. There's 247 of them that are everywhere. <laughs> Get them all, you know. Now the Legos, because no one wants to step on those in the middle of the night. So, so let's go. Lego. All right, now let's go. And we, we, we stand there, and it takes a little bit of coaching sometimes. And, and a lot of times we end up helping him out, sadly. But he'll do it. But usually only because he knows that we're watching. That's a little bit of what's going on here in verse 9. I think sometimes you and I, as Christians, James has already told us that life is like a a mist or a vapor and it's gone. And even though we know that that life is short, we still find reason to complain. Jack Reese will will tell us, "Well, well, John Henry's not helping me clean up. And it's this comparison game. Well, Judah doesn't have to clean doesn't have to clean up. Again, buddy, you made the mess. This is your mess. Yours. not their mess. This is your mess. And for for him, especially when he looks at what someone else has or, or what, what other circumstances are for other people, he, he begins to, to think to himself, this is this what I have is not fair. And a lot of times the grumbling and the complaining come because we I think we fail to see from a godly perspective. I think sometimes, at least for me, I get guilty of this, that I, that I grumble and I complain. If I'm mad at someone, it's usually because I'm, I'm really mad more about what, what God has given me and the circumstances I have. Either I want what they have or I don't want what I have. There, there's something going on there where the grumbling and the complaining come in. And I think what James is really getting at is as he, he starts this it's it's in the middle remember it's after verse 7 and verse 8 they both start with be patient and then it's hey don't grumble about this like if 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 anything I'm I'm a patient grumbler <clears throat> like I'll be patient but I'm going to grumble while I'm patient which I don't really think that means that I'm patient. But, but, but these things are kind of going hand in hand here. But he's, it's this idea of comparison. We do this a lot with, with teenagers. And I have these conversations a lot when I get to counsel with them. And, and one of the things that they'll do is they very much live in a world of comparison. And for most of them, it's very easy because they can flip to their phone and just shuffle through pictures. And they kind of compare what they have with with what they see on the screen. And and very often I have to remind many of them that hey you know that what you're looking at on this screen of this other person, you know that was like the fifth picture that they took from like the 47th angle and it's been adjusted and it's been like all these things have happened to it and filtered just right and, and all this stuff. It took them 30 minutes to probably adjust the things on this picture and they had to crop some of the things out of the picture and blur some of those things so that it looks the way that it does here for you to think to yourself like what they have wow that's great but in all reality the the way that that they represent themselves online that's not reality it's a very false reality it's it's something that that teenagers struggle with and sometimes even adults in fact counseling has has taken on a, a different kind of role because of social media because we live in a world of comparison. Things like Facebook and, and, and whatever it may be, we think, wow, look what they've got. When, when you, and, you and I who, who mess with that stuff, you know the only things you put out there are the great ones, right? I love some of our, our friends, uh, Courtney and Derek, because they send their Christmas card. And they usually have two pictures on their Christmas card. And they have one with, with their, their children. There's lots of them. Um, and they're, they're there and they look like all nice and like, like look, here is our family. But then they also send another picture that's usually on the same card, on the front, or sometimes it's on the back, and it's got the kids sitting in front of the Christmas tree or something like that, and they're all just bawling their eyes out, and one of them's like got a handful of hair, the other one it's just like, but hey, "This is this is this is what we present to you, but really, the other that's that's reality." And sometimes we just I think lose focus, and we start to to compare what's around us, and I think that's what kind of brings the grumbling on. When we forget a godly perspective, and instead we have our own earthly perspective. Now, verse ten, he moves on, talks about these prophets. And Job, verse ten, says this: "says As an example, um, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord." So, again, the prophets. Again, I don't I don't find them as as grumblers, even though I think they have reason to be. It's actually the opposite of that, that he's giving us. So look, these guys didn't grumble, even though they maybe had reason to. You read throughout all the minor prophets, major prophets, that, that I don't know if they were bigger than the other ones. I think it's just the size of the book in the, in the Bible. I don't think that like Amos was smaller than Jeremiah. But so the, the, the deal, though, with most of those guys, when you read through those books, God comes and he gives them a word. And he says, here, take this to the people. Tell them this. Tell them to stop doing these things, or else something bad's going to happen. Sometimes it's, hey... Something bad is going to happen because you didn't stop doing these things. A lot of that is is a lot of their messages. And most of the time when they tell them, hey, God would like for you to stop, nothing happens. The people still don't listen. All throughout the Old Testament you hear that God's people is described as stiff-necked people. A bunch of ornery, just stuck in their way, stubborn people. That know God's goodness, but they ignore it. And they know God's voice, and they ignore it. And the prophets come in, and God sends them as, as spokesmen for him, and they, they go, and they declare all of this, and for the most part, no one really listens. And people like Elijah, and he, he comes, and he, he comes to God, and he actually tells God, he says, God, I'm the only one left. God, I'm the only prophet that's left. Everyone else has run away, but, but, but God, here I am, and, and woe is me. And he comes this moment with God, and it's actually just after he's had this great thing that happens with calling down fire, and you find like, like one chapter later, he's grumbling and complaining. He says, God, I'm the only person left here. God kind of reminds him, he says, now I've got about a thousand that haven't bowed their knee to Baal, and it's not just you. I'm choosing to use you right now, but I could use somebody else if I wanted to. It's a great conversation that happens there, but a lot of these guys, they they have reason, I think, to complain sometimes. I mean, Elijah is being chased for his life, and, and all kinds of stuff is happening to him. And I think if I were him, I might be in the same boat. God, nothing's happening here. God, I I, I find myself doing this. We youth ministers, we, we don't count like years of ministry. It's it's summers, um, and so. <laughs> this this is my 18th summer of youth ministry. Um, and a lot of times I look back over those, those 18 summers and I think, you know, I'm still dealing with some of the same stuff that I've tried to get teenagers to see for a long time now. And God mentions these prophets because for the most part, they just do their job. For the most part, I think most of them have a godly perspective because they're God's mouthpiece. and They come in and they do what they're supposed to do and and leave it up to God to determine the rest. Look, I'm going to give you God's message, and and if you do what you're supposed to do, then great. And If you don't, then God can handle that. Sometimes in my life, though, I, I don't work that way. I want to grumble and complain and want God to do things my way. But he tells us, stop your grumbling. What about when things really do seem unfair? Not just the little ministry things for me, but, but sometimes life hits us with stuff that we, we really do think is, is unfair. Like there's the whole thing with my kids and they'll say, I mean, this is not fair. And like, you don't even know. But sometimes things happen. And for, for all of us in the room, there's probably something that we could point to and say that, that this or these things this diagnosis, this death of a loved one, this whatever. like This, this was unfair. And again, I don't, I don't want to belittle those things, but maybe it's because we don't have that godly perspective. Or maybe it's because we don't trust God's sovereignty when we grumble and complain. In Luke chapter 7, you find a story about uh, John the Baptist. And he's, he's been imprisoned for, for basically standing up for what he knows is right. And he's there and he has some disciples that are with him. And he sends those disciples to Jesus and he says, hey, I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to ask a question for me. I want you to ask him, hey, are you the one or should we look for another Now, again, this is John the Baptist. It's a low point, obviously, for his life, because he spent his life telling people that Jesus is the one, that this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. It's basically what his job has been. But he finds himself in a weak moment there in prison and says, hey, could you just go ask Jesus for me? Is he really the one, or are we looking for somebody else? So these disciples, they get to Jesus, and and they ask the question, and, and Jesus does what only Jesus can do, and he says, hey, you boys, sit tight right there. Let me show you something. And it says that that there are many people that come that that moment, and demons are cast out, people that can't walk begin to walk, and people that can't see begin to see, and there's all these miracles that begin to take place. And then he looks back over at these disciples, and he says, all right, now, I want you to go back to John, and I want you to tell him what you've seen, what you've heard. That the lame walk, and the blind speak, and the the evil spirits have been cast out, and oh yeah, tell him this too. The, word, the gospel's been preached and, and then tell him, that blessed is he who's not offended because of me. And they say, okay. And they go back and they tell John, like, hey, um, this is what we saw, this is what we heard. And Jesus said that blessed is he who's not offended because of me. Well, that stinks. That's really not the great answer that, that John was probably hoping for. In fact, if you keep reading in, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is going to go on about like three, four verses after this. He talks about John. He, he even tells him that, that that tells people that John the Baptist is the greatest man born of woman. That's a pretty high compliment coming from Jesus. And Jesus knowing everyone, and says, This man is the greatest man. But Jesus still can't give him a straight answer. Jesus still looks at him and, and at his low point and, and still says, hey, um, let me just kind of go around your question and, and then just kind of tell you that I hope you're not offended by the way that I'm doing things. And that's tough. It's tough for me sometimes. When I, when I have what I think is a legitimate complaint or a legitimate grumble and I take it to God and and. And really the answer that I get is, hey, I hope you're not offended by the way I'm doing things. They happen. The most recent for me has been my father. He was diagnosed with Parkinson's last year. That's tough. My father has been a pastor, has been a pastor all of my life. Has pastored little churches in um, southeast Texas. Was at one church in Sperger, Texas, where I grew up for 13 years. Had a wonderful ministry there. Um, moved from Sperger to Jasper, Texas, where he is now. And has been there for about 22 years um, at Hillcrest Baptist Church in Jasper, Texas. He has had a wonderful, wonderful ministry experience. And I love him. I love knowing that what he's preaching on Sunday morning, he lives out during the rest of the week. Because I got to grow up with him and I got to watch these things. For me, when I, when I think of, of God as heavenly father, that's an easy thing for me. For many people that's not easy because their idea of father is very different. It, it could be something that, that's not so much a, a positive picture, it may be a negative picture for some people, that image of father. But for me, to say that, that, that God is like a father, sign me up. I like that illustration. I, I like that correlation. I'm, I'm okay with that. My father probably best represents God more than anybody I know. But then for this, I don't get it. So I have to go to God and I have to say, all right, God, why is this? And God doesn't send me an email and say, well... I should, have cleared this. I should have cleared this with you first, John. Um, but here's, here's what I'm doing. Um, I'm, this is happening because of this, and, and, and it's happening in this way, because, because at this time, this is it, it, it explaining to me all the things of, of why. I don't get that. Instead, what I get is, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'll be with you always. Hey, I've, I've, I've got the power to do something about this. But I'm not right now. And I hope you're not offended by the way that I'm doing things. Even the times when we have what I would think would be legitimate grumbles. I still know in my heart of hearts and from what I see from God's word that if I have a godly perspective, if I can try to see things like God sees things, then maybe I don't have reason to complain. I've got this piece of rope up here, so hang on a second. I, uh, somebody, somebody took my rope. All right, so uh, I brought this as an illustration. A guy named Francis Chan used this, and um, I don't. Take everything of his. But I like this illustration. I need you to use your imagination again with me, even though I have something in my hands. I want you to imagine this as kind of a timeline. Now, I know some of you who are like people already, you're thinking to yourself like, John, there's an end. I I get that. Like time, it's eternal, and I need you to think that way. Just imagine with me, okay? I understand that there are flaws in the illustration. We don't need to go over those. So here's what I need you to do, really. I need you to imagine this as a timeline. We're going to imagine this, the beginning We'll call that Genesis 1-1, all right? God is eternal. I get it. He exists. Uh, But but for this, for right now, we're we're imagine this as kind of creation happening here, okay? So creation happens here, and God does all those wonderful things, and we we begin to move along through time, right? All the things that happen, and, you know, Dr. Reggie's preaching through the life of Joseph, which, which happens somewhere like in right in here. I think. And then we get through like all these different things that are, that are happening through Old Testament, New Testament, and all the things that happen. And we begin to go through like world history. We get all this stuff, right, that you and I know that happens that, that we can even imagine that has been written down or whatever. And then we, we finally get to let's, this wonderful piece of tape that I have put here that hopefully you can see. I made it small, but hopefully big enough for you to see contrasting colors because my wife is an art teacher and she taught me about that. So what I have for you is this blue piece of tape. I want you to imagine that as your life span. Now, again, I understand if it's a a timeline that your lifespan doesn't really take up that much room. I understand, but just imagine with me, okay, that this is your lifespan, birth and death, however many years you get. I told you last week that I plan on living to about 112, right? So this would be my 112 years here, right? If this is my 112 years, mostly what I have to complain about, what I think that I have to complain about is really like right, just back, just right in here, just a little bit. There was that one thing. And then maybe right here. That's about it. That's about all I've got. I mean, uh, God's blessed me, and my life has been wonderful. I have very little to complain and grumble about. It's really very small if I maybe draw a pen line with those things. But if I look here, I think, wow, those pen marks would be significant. If I look here, they become less significant. If I begin to think about what God has done for me and that it doesn't really matter for only here what God has done for me securing salvation for me an eternal life with him God is is concerned about this he tells us he knows the number of hair on our heads so he's concerned about this very much but what he's more concerned with I think and the reason he sent his son to die for us so that we could have that eternal life is God's concerned with all of this and it just keeps going, absolutely, for forever. God has taken care of all of this. My one little complaint, it matters, but God has taken care of all of this. When I can imagine that and step back and know that my God has taking care of all of that for me, Then maybe my one little complaint, my two little complaints, then I can get to this, don't grumble. Because I really don't have reason. God has done so much for me. I have no reason to complain even a little bit. Which gets us to verse 11. It says, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. You've seen the purpose of the Lord. Let's stop there for just a second. Job is one of those people that that we know. I mean, he suffers probably, he's probably our greatest example of someone who would have reason to complain, right? And he never does. He never talks bad about God. And and, we know that story. And it says he's steadfast. and, And then we get this phrase. It says, you, he's talking to the Christians. He says, you've seen the purpose of the Lord. It's almost this idea of, hey, you know how God works. Like, hey, you, you know that, that, that you can at least try to imagine and try to see things a little bit like God sees things. Because you know that God's purpose, I've already told you life is short, life is a vapor. And, and God's purpose is, is all about eternity. God's purpose is about his glory for, for all of time and, and then some. That's his grand purpose. That's his grand vision. And so the little stuff that happens in, 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 the, in the little bow time. You can be steadfast. You can make it through that. And then he says, you know the purpose of the Lord. And then it says, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. And he is. Because this is where God is unfair. That while I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. I did not deserve that. What would have been fair is if we go back to the verses that tell us that the wages of sin is death, that what I earn, what is fair for me, would be death. But God instead gives us eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. is a free gift for us. That's not fair at all. And I'm so glad. When I begin to grumble and complain about things that, that, are, that I feel like aren't fair, Look what this person has that I don't have. Or, or look, look at these circumstances that they're in. And man, I wish mine were different. Or, 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 or even if I begin to complain about what I think is legitimate. If I begin to realize that God is, 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 is compassionate and God is, is merciful. And I begin to think of these eternal things. I'm glad God's not fair. I'm so glad God's not fair. This word Compassionate. Um, merciful even Um, there are words in in the Greek that um, compassion is actually only used here this word for it Uh, the word for merciful is used one other place in Luke and uh, what James is really I think doing with these is, is basically kind of calling out something that maybe just reminding them hey this is a different kind of compassion God knows you, and and he is compassionate. He does care about what's going on in your life. He cares so much about what's going on in your little bitty lifespan that he is guaranteed for us eternity with him. God cares that much. He is compassionate. And he is merciful. Because he gives us mercy, giving us salvation. We don't get the death. We don't get the separation from his goodness for all time. We get relationship with him. He is merciful. So he starts with, don't grumble, and then reminds us that God is compassionate and merciful. For us tonight, very simply, I just want you to to try as best you can to focus with me on the idea that God is compassionate and merciful. And I believe that when we focus on that, when we can have a little bit of godly perspective, that our grumbling decreases dramatically when we can really believe and really think and really know how compassionate and how merciful our God is. And I'm so thankful for it. I'm going to pray with you. And Jeremy will come and have a time of invitation. God, we love you. I love that you have already done more than enough for me to see how good you are, how compassionate you are, how merciful you are. God, I pray that you would help me to keep a godly perspective. That when I'm tempted to grumble or complain or grumble about something or something that's going on with someone else, or Father, for any reason, however legitimate it may seem, God, I pray that you would remind me To have a godly perspective as best I can. And to remember how good you have already been. God, maybe even to be reminded of how good you are yet to be. You've already done enough. We deserve nothing else, but you are compassionate and merciful. God, I know there's still so much to come. How you'll bless us. Father, if nothing else in our lives ever works out our way, If we know you as our Savior, then eternity has been worked out for us. To be with you in a very real place called heaven for all of eternity. And we thank you for it. Father, may we remember these things. Father, may it cause us to worship you and live for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.